Hi, I'm Jeff Dewing, and before season three of Doing the Opposite Business Disruptors lands in just a few weeks' time, I wanted to share some of my favourite episodes from past seasons. I absolutely loved the conversation I had with the famous Alan Brazil, incredible footballer and renowned host of TalkSport. Again, I've known Alan for a few years, but to listen to the stories, the power of his memory, his memory of events that have happened in his career are just off the scale. The bits that I like most that brought it to life, his discussion about how when at school, it was about the balls were very small. The footballs were very small. There was like the small brown rubber ball. If you could learn to control and trap a small ball, then working with a bigger ball was far, far easier. So the focus was on practicing with the small ball, which made the larger ball an easier outcome. Seems obvious, but clearly true. Alan goes on to talk about his illustrious broadcasting career where he nearly missed his debut. His broadcasting debut with Porky Parry, as he's now known, back in those early days. Just incredible stories that most of us will be familiar with and will probably reflect back and remember. Hello and welcome to Doing the Opposite Business Disruptors. My guest today needs a little introduction. He's an Ipswich Town football legend and also enjoyed playing spells with Spurs and Man United to name just a few. He's now probably best known for being the legend broadcaster on TalkSport. Welcome, Alan Brazil. Hello, Jeff, and hello, everybody. How are we? Absolutely fantastic, Alan. It's um, absolutely fantastic for you to uh, join me on this show. And as you know, it's about people's experiences, life experiences, career experiences, about when you did things differently, when you broke the rules, when you create some form of game changer, uh, and the impact that sort of had on you, your life, your family, your colleagues. So I guess the first question is, what has happened in your life or career? And I'm sure there's loads, but if you could pick one or two that was a game changer or you did the opposite and the impact that had. Well, two things, really. The first one would be my football career, where I was uh, started off as a kid in Glasgow when I was um, fullback. The left, I had a good left foot. I broke my right leg when I was a kid. So I had to rely and build up my left, my left foot while I recovered. And, um, you know, and, and in those days, they were sought after left footers. So I started sort of left full back, midfield. But I always knew when I was playing football with a tennis ball in the, the school playground, because we weren't allowed uh, full balls. We had little tennis balls, you know. I think there was too many windows being broken and stuff. And uh, I, I'm still a great believer that that's where you can get skill from. You know, we're playing with a ball much smaller. Glenn Hoddle tried it. When he was a manager, he used to bring out small balls. The players used to look up and say, what are you doing? What's this? He said, well, those centre-halves and full-backs, the hod carriers, you might be learning to trap. If you can trap that ball, you can trap a bigger ball. That's the whole point of it. You can do things. If you can do things with that little ball, you can do it with a bigger ball. It becomes easier. So I always felt I had more to give. And it was um, playing in Glasgow, one of the best uh, junior sides. So I was a good player, a real good player. And then my final season, I had a chance to play up front, and that's what I wanted to play. And I broke all records, 62 goals, and got my first invite. It poured with rain one day, one Sunday morning. I was playing football this weekend with a duffel coat on, soaking wet. You know, Glasgow, it rained every weekend. 
And I'd seen him before watching games and all sorts of wells. And he came over, his name was George Finlay. And he says, listen, I've been watching your career. I fancy you're a left midfielder, but I'm amazed this season you've gone up front. You've scored loads of goals. I want to take you down to Ipswich Town on trial. And I went, yes, yes. Yes, please. Where, yeah, where is it? Right? I have no <laughs> idea where Ipswich was. No idea. He said, well, have you heard of um, Kevin Beatty? I went, yeah, vaguely. He plays for England. And he plays for Ipswich. And Bobby Robson. So that was a little bit of a change. I went down there on your school holidays, uh, Christmas, Easter holidays, loved it. And then, of course, the excitement of when you went, you were you were on trial, and Bobby was there. Bobby Robson was there. He'd watch everything. You know, I don't, I don't think managers do that anymore. But he would run Ipswich Town Football Club from top to bottom, and he'd watch all the trial games. And I just had that little bit of edge, a little bit of luck, when I smashed in a few goals, and eventually I signed professional for a couple of years so that's where it all started Ipswich um always remember another would be a game chamber uh, changer to play in the world cup in 1982 for scotland as a kid i was a massive celtic fan and uh, douglish even though i played with him i'm going to tell you about that he was a hero of mine the way he played he was streaks ahead of people he he's he's his brain was so clever he was two steps two moves ahead of people at celtic when he when he went to liverpool and, of course, we know what a legend he is. Well, I always remember one night Paul Mariner got injured. Things weren't great. We were fourth in the league, and there was a team were top of the league. And amazingly, this was in February, 16th of Feb, and it was Laurie McMenemy Southampton, who had, like, Keegan, Shannon, Alan Ball, uh, Shilton, people of that playing. And they were top of what is now the Premier in February. And Paul Mariner failed the fitness test. We were on a bit of a bad run. And we thought, we feared the worst. And, of course, it was a great night for me. We beat them 5-2, and I scored all five. The headlines the next day was Brazil 5, Southampton, you know, 2. And, and Keegan said to me, wow, what a performance, son, fantastic. And the next day, the very next day, I had my picture taken with a Derby favourite down at Newmarket. And um, a very, very famous horse. And to this day, people say, I wish they effing kidnapped you. <laughs> instead of Shergar. And that's whose picture I had, and I've still wow. got it in my apartment in London. Massive picture with me and Shergar. And he won, he won the derby in an absolute canter with his tongue hanging out. But what I didn't know was Laurie McMenemy. Uh, Laurie was on the phone to Jockstein saying, look, I don't know if this boy, you know much about him. He's just smashed five in against us. He's got to be part of your squad for the World Cup. And that's what happened. So I ended up in 1982, 15th of June, Spain, in uh, Malaga Stadium. Me and Kenny kicked off. And we played New Zealand, we won 5-2. Didn't score, but played well. And it, it must, it, my, my career just went, you know, it was fantastic. Youth Cup the year before, played in the World Cup in A2, then went to Spurs, uh, on to Manchester United. But I did cut, my career was cut short when I was 27 with a bad back. And in those days, there was no MRI scans. They couldn't tell what it was. I was getting treated for groin strains, for hamstring problems. No one realised it was my lower spine was the problem, S1L5, which was basically wearing away. The discs were going. Um, so anyway, we move on, and um, you finish at 27, you think, what am I going to do? So I ended up, uh, had a little chance. Uh, I was in a bar one night. The phone went. guy said, Alan, um, my name's Sava. I'm a scout for a team in Australia. I want to take you out there. I've seen you play locally. And I was playing a little bit of local football for Whitham, for Chelmsford, for Stanbridge. And really, you know, enjoying it. I wasn't training every day. It was a bit of fun. and enjoyed it. Keep fit. And and I, I had a few days to recover. So my back, you know, I tell you how bad my back got when I was professional playing was after a game in the morning, I had to wash with one hand or clean my teeth. Because if I took this hand away off the sink, the basin, my head just went, 
Wow. Straight in there. Oh I had no strength God. whatsoever. So anyway, cut long so I got around it. And I went out there for three games only. And uh, they paid me a few quid. And my brother lived in Melbourne at the time. And I thought, well, I'll make it a holiday as well. So, and it just snowballed. We won three, drew one. And I came home for a week. The centre forward got injured. I went back for six weeks. Won four, drew two. Fantastic. Trevor Francis came out. And Trevor was still a massive name in those days. Uh, getting on a bit, but still fantastic. And he went home and he said, uh, a friend of his in Switzerland said, I'm, I need a centre forward. I, I don't care where you get them from. He said, well, Alan Brazil have just been out in Australia, in Sydney, and um, this fella can still play. He went, get him over. I ended up having a year in Zurich, and it was brilliant. <laughs> Learned to ski. I went one weekend. The guys in the team took me to Davos, um, and it was fantastic. And we, we had all the gear, the ski suits, the new this, new gloves, and we got to the edge of the mountain, and they said, right, we'll do this. I went, whoa, 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 what do you mean do? do how did I do it? They went, they looked at me like I was daft. You don't ski? I went, no, no. So by the end of the day, I was skiing. I was turning on my own. And amazingly, I came home after a year, and it was very successful. They wanted me to stay another year, and I said, nah, I've had enough. And I taught my, my daughters how to ski on the dry slope in Suffolk in Ipswich. Snow came down, which is very rare for, for Ipswich. And I taught them to ski, and both of them ended up in international slalom and giant slalom skiers oh, for Scotland and England. So yeah. little turns in your life, Jeff. Yeah. And I, I think it's just meant to be, to be honest. Oh, no. well, I remember that slope at Ipswich. I, that's where I learned to ski on it. Yeah, well, you got to be careful because you can break your fingers if you grab on no, the mat and you're yeah. still moving. But yeah. I went everywhere with them, all around no. Europe, skiing. Their holidays, I took them skiing. Mm. But I remember putting the two oldest on a plane at the airport getting picked up in Geneva and thinking, please, God, get them there safely. And, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it was a brilliant part of my life. It really was. And, um, you know, I just think, the cha- you know, it could have been so, so different if I hadn't had the bad back. Yeah, and I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing for anything. No, now, no. back on to media now, or how I got into media. So I'm, I'm now a bit bored of nothing to do. And local radio, the local BBC station are saying to me, Come on, come and do a cool commentary. I went, no, nah, had enough for football. No, nah, I didn't like the way I was sort of pushed aside when I finished because 27, there you go. Sorry, son, that's it. Goodbye. You're what? You know, there was, it, it was, it was, you know, commodity. As soon as you're no good, see you later. So I was really upset. As much as I enjoyed the fun of Australia and Switzerland, I was still a bit angry that my career was cut so short. We're not proper treatment and proper being looked after. Anyway, this guy kept going on to me, and I went. He was an Australian guy, a lovely guy, right? Charles, his name was. And I thought, can I do this? And we went to – it was an away game, and Ipswich were playing, and, and this fellow was mixing – he was a commentator, and I was the co-commentator, and he was mixing Johnny Warcock with Chris Kawamia. Well, with the greatest respect, Warcock's from Glasgow, and Chris, Chris was from Bradford, but there was a diff- there was a colour difference here, and yeah. I'm like, how's he going away with this? I can do this, you know? So <laughs> – um, but he was a great guy. He set me on the route with a local BBC. I started doing a few little phone-ins then. Angler Television came along. Could I host a show or co-host a show? Yeah, and I used to do it with Brian Gunn. He'd come in. And a guy called Kevin Piper was the main host. And then suddenly it was um, it was a bit of Five Live, BBC, and I'd go around the country, which I love doing. I love, I love getting the games. I didn't enjoy the travel there and travel back, but once you're in the stadium, the atmosphere... And the crowd came in. It was wonderful. And Sky poached me to do the championship. So I'd do the championship, Division One, Division Two. I'd do all the playoffs at Wembley, which was fantastic. But I was desperate to do a Premier game. They wouldn't let me do one because they had 
um, Richard Keyes and Andy Gray. And Andy has been doing it for so long, he was fabulous. They said, you're too similar. I said, well, I don't think we are. Well, yeah, you're both from Glasgow. I said, yeah, but I think he's, you know, anyway, they wouldn't give me uh, a premiership game. So I, I then get, I, I was having a lunch in London with an old friend of mine, Tottenham fans would know this guy, a guy called Paul Miller. And there was Roberts Miller, Perryman, Chris Hutton. There was a real tough, strong back four. And uh, we were having a, a lunch in a, a, an Indian restaurant just off Oxford Street in London. It's called the Red Fort. And it was fantastic. And, he, and we were just about finished. That was a long lunch, a few glasses of wine. And it was great, great fun, a few old friends. And he says, what are you doing later? I said, um, I thought I'll just head back and get on the train to Ipswich back home. And, he, and I suddenly something was nagging me. I thought, sure, I'm doing something. And the phone went. There was a guy called Mike Parry who's now known as Mike Porky Parry, uh, <laughs> from Talk Sport. It was top radio in those days. Oh. He said, where are you? I went, hey, who's this? He said, Mike Parry. I went, yeah, who, who, who are you? He said, what do you mean, who am I? You're doing radio uh, for top radio in 20 minutes. I went, what? Where? He said, Oxford Street. And I'm thinking, how many glasses of wine have I had here? You know what I mean? It was one of them, <laughs> forgot all about it. Jeff forgot all about it. Oh, so I said, where, where in Oxford Street? So I said to the waiter, excuse me. He said, oh, five minutes around the corner. I went, oh, all right, I'll be there. And he had the hump with me. I walked in and I said to Paul Miller, come with me. You know, So the two of us are there. And uh, he's growling at me, Paddy. You forgot. I said, no, I didn't. I was only winding you up. I had for, I had for. <laughs> So anyway, I said, where's the scripts? What did I do? He said, nothing. Just go in there, the booth. You're on in two minutes. Go into the booth and just say hello. Just say who you are. I went, what? No script. What am I talking about? No subject. He says, no, 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 no. You'll be all right. There were a few black cab drivers, London cabs, black cabs. They'll ring you. They'll, they'll be on the break. They'll ring you. I went, are you mad? So I said to Paul, do us a favor. I said, just come in. We'll have a little chat. And if someone calls, great. If not, no problem. Yeah. I went, yeah, all right. And the two of us nattered for about two minutes. And all of a sudden, the lights started lighting up on the switchboard and the guy was right Paddy was right all these cabbies oh, oh, I'm a Tottenham fan oh, I'm an Arsenal fan I'm just sitting on my break how are you great to hear you and lo and behold I started doing a couple of them two three of them I quite enjoyed them right. just having a chat and then one day after about I think it was about four or five weeks I said fancy doing breakfast I said well what time is breakfast he said six I went you're having a laugh I'm getting in at six I said, I couldn't go up at 10 for Portman Road for Ipswich. He says, no, you can, you can. So I ended up sitting with a guy in Canary Wharf, a guy called James Whale, who was a bit of a ledge, still is. I love yeah. his voice. He's on late at night, yeah. talks about UFOs, talks mm. about this. Oh, no, but a great voice, had his own television program, Jeff, and all that. And he, and then, and we sat down with a glass of champagne. He says, you've got to do breakfast. You're, you're natural. You've got to do it. It's perfect for you. And then he started, and I still wasn't sure. Then he started talking about money and how much is involved. I went, well, maybe I'll give this a go. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll try and set the alarm clock, yeah. <laughs> and that was 21 years ago. I've been sacked three times, brought back three times with public demand. And, um, you know, there's a Cheltenham stories, and I've been all over the world, the White House, and mm, I've interviewed, um, you know, the great boxers, Tyson Fury, told me how he was going to drive in and drive his car into a tree. His head wasn't right. I'm like, oh. Um, it was amazing. It's, it's been so, so good for me these last 21 years. Not as easy as what people think, Jeff, but, you know, once you're up there, once you're in there, the adrenaline kicks in and away you go. Of course, I can imagine that. And, I mean, the one thing that really stands out for 
sort of us ordinary people, when we listen to you and talk sport, we listen to you generally even today, you've got a memory like an elephant. I mean, you just remember everything. How on earth do you do that? Is it just something that's always been the norm? I tell you what, I'm, I tell you what, I'm very, not all the time, but normally very good. We, we play a game, there's a great Italian, and I'll come on to the memory, there's an Italian restaurant in the city between Banks and Paul's, a friend of mine, Enzo's, and in the summer we sit in the courtyard there and he said, you ready? And we've had a long lunch. It's great. It sounds as if I lunch all the time and drink red wine. I don't all the time, but <laughs> I've got some real good friends who are, in the, you know, the brokers and they do yeah, the hang parts of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we sit there and out comes the, the music. Right, and it's basically a bit like Name That Tune. Right. So there's no intro, just who's this? Who's this? And if it's anything to do with the 70s, 80s, or 90s, bang, I've got it after two, yeah. three bars. Right. So there's something in my head yeah. just sparks, especially football and music. Mm. And I do remember great stuff. You know, I remember stories and I remember people. I remember people from school in the 70s. I remember them and what they're doing and who their brother was. I don't know. It's just a, it's a, it's a gift to be honest. It's a gift you've got. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. So, Al, when you reflect on your um, your career, your experiences, your life and, and all the things that you've, you've been exposed to, I mean, what would you say you are most grateful for? Grateful, I would suggest that uh, a little. I was going to say good health and um, meeting the right lady and having a great family. Your kids. I've now got four grandkids, four granddaughters. You know that that is a massive, massive part of that. A little scared a few weeks ago uh, with um, short of breath and stuff, and I thought maybe I'd just been over overdoing it. But I've been I've been having this for. A few years, but it suddenly got to an extreme where my daughter, funny enough, my youngest daughter is a doctor, and she called the paramedics, and I said, "No, I'll drive to hospital, get it checked." No, 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 no. And they basically they didn't say I had a heart attack. I haven't had a heart attack, but they said my blood was, my heart was pumping out of control. Right. Now to this day, uh, I, I went into the local hospital and I, I stayed. They let me out, and then went back the next day, and I was I was in for three, four nights. They couldn't find out. They thought it was an infection. They thought it was a blood clot. It was neither. And it turns out I went up to Guy's Hospital. And again, this is where football comes in. I'm very lucky because of people in football and supporters. Someone knew a surgeon who would look after me up in Guy's. Uh, not Guy's, excuse me, up in St. Bart's. St. Bart's. Yeah. And I went up there. And, and, and that's, if anyone doesn't know what St. Bart's is, again, it's very close to St. Paul's Cathedral near the Bank of England. And I went up there and, and they said, you need an ablation. And ablation is basically this. They go into your groin with a camera and a drill and an electrical, it's like a laser, I think, and they, get, and they drill into the top part of your heart, your top chamber. And then, you know, this is, I was fine a couple of weeks before this, yeah. and suddenly, bang. And uh, they blast away. It's like an electric shock. I think there's so many people in sport have had it. Fergie had it. And basically, they reset your heart to a normal beat. There's something oh. in there. They blast it away. And it doesn't always work, but pray God and thank God it worked for me. Right. Now, I think, and no one knows because we don't know enough about it, but I think COVID brought this on. Right. I really, I, you know, shot my breath, yeah. right away the alarm bells ring. Yeah. But anyway, touch wood, I'm fine. Yeah. And I've since right. found out half a dozen footballers who've heard what I have on phone, they said, you're right, oh, great, I had that. <gasps> so you'd be amazed yeah. at many healthy footballers and athletes yeah. I've had this ablation thing where your yeah. your heart just doesn't beat properly. It beats too fast, right. and it can it can eventually bring you on to having right. heart attacks wow. and strokes. And that's what you don't want—a stroke or a heart attack. Right. So I would pray God again. I was very very lucky. 
And I, I go back every four or five months now and just have a little check. But touch wood so far, I'm fine. Yeah. I can talk all day if I want. Yeah. I'm not out of breath anymore. I just have to curb my lifestyle a little bit. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, because uh, I've got my kids, my grandkids, my, my wife, all on my back. You know, I'm back yeah. to having a bad back again, Jeff, because they're all on it. <laughs> um, yeah, as soon as I, I reach for a glass of red and a glass of bubbly, put that down, put that yeah. down. I'll tell the surgeon, I'll phone him now, I'll text him now, I'll email him. All right, shush. Yeah, so yeah. anyway, going back to your question, I think like, I played at the highest level. I've got so many great friends. I'm now broadcasting. I was uh, got into the, uh, the the academy, the, the the radio academy. I was in, um, inducted in there with some great guys from radio, the big stars from all the years. So, crikey, I've had a, I've had a very, very fortunate and a very, very good lifestyle so far. It's, it's brought me a lot of happiness. Yeah, which, which, which sounds brilliant. And you can tell that you, 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 you come across as a fulfilled guy every time we hear you. Well, speak. I've been all over the world, Jeff. You oh, know, you, you think about it. I went to, I've been to Australia when the tall ships come in, when they sailed out on the bicentennial. Happy birthday, 200 years. Yeah. They, they, these tall sailing ships came from Oslo, from from any all around the Europe, all around the world, all sailed into Sydney Harbour. I was there. Yeah. I was there for the Olympics. Right. It was just magic. I've done yeah. Ashes tours and all that. So you see the world. So really, really fortunate and very lucky. Yeah. And I think one of the things that has been a massive contribution, certainly from my perspective, is when I listen to TalkSport and I listen to you and I listen to you know, when Mike Parry was on it and and, and, the, you know, and also when the Moose is on there. It's the fact that you're truly having fun. It doesn't seem yeah. to be a scripted agenda. It's about you just knowing how to get the best out of life. And, it, and that's what really comes across, which is why I think it's such a popular show. But you know what's happened there? You mentioned Mike Parry, the Moose, they've gone. Really? Squeaky Beaky's gone. Oh, Chicken no. Biryani, Ronnie Arani's no, gone. gone. <laughs> All these guys I give yeah. nicknames to and Hank yeah. Potts, They've all gone because you have new people come through and they've got different ideas. Of course, now, I'm yeah. not going to say it was a lot better in those days, mm. but maybe it was. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's different faces come in yeah. and it's different audience. But I was going to say different audiences. We have a younger audience that are coming in all the time, but we've of still course. got old guests like you, Jeff, with a great suspect. <laughs> No, we'll get, I've, I've still got my old listeners who miss those yeah. Fridays, you know, where, yeah. um, you know, you go out and, and Hank and I, Hank worked for Barclays. I, I, don't, I don't know if he's still working there now, to be honest. But we'd go into Canadian Wharf or we'd go into the city and we'd have some fun. It was magic, you know, and the stories would come out next week on radio and people loved it. But things have changed, you know. Yeah, well, you got Gothy now as well on the, on drive time, aren't you? Or you had Gothy on drive time. Well, Gothy, Gothy has now gone to Yorkshire. Uh, to sort Yorkshire cr- County cricket out. Oh, no. So I wish him well. But Stevie Harmison's a great guy. You know, there's yeah. some good, that's one thing about sport. There's some boring ones. There's some miserable gits. There's some people <laughs> who have got heads the size of planets. Yeah. But mo- uh, most of the guys I know and, and they're my friends are yeah. down to earth great and they're like me. They appreciate how lucky we've been. Well, of course, and that's the beauty. And I think that's the generation you see in, in the footballers of, of, of the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s that – you know, they do seem to have their feet planted on the ground and they are grateful, whereas you look at the modern player and, you know, and it's almost like, well, there's an expectation of, of more and more and more. So that's just a very headline. There's one thing that will never happen again, and Tottenham are very good at it. In fact, in, in Ipswich, in May, we've got a 40 years anniversary of the UEFA Cup. Uh, so there is clubs that still everyone gets together. 
mm. and has a Christmas, has, you know, has a few drinks. Yeah, we're going to watch the film, aren't we, in a few weeks' time, yeah. Escape to victory. You, see, you, you know, that's a good story, I'll tell you a bit. A minute, yeah. but, but these modern-day premiership players, they, that ain't going to happen. They're no, not no, going to no. be playing charity golf matches no, no. or do a charity lunch like no. me and Ray no. Parler and McCoy no. and people like that do. They ain't going to no. do it yet. They, no. They're off to the Caribbean with 50 oh, million in the back. No, no, good no, luck no. to them. I yeah, am not yeah, jealous. Yeah. And yeah. I mean that because I've done very well for myself. But yeah. the, but the supporters are not going to—they're not going to get that like no. they get from the old ones no. like me. No, no. And I think you know, escape to victory and all that, which obviously um, got put off recently. But we've we've rescheduled that, and we so we're all looking forward to that. It's going to be great. Well, I tell you what happened briefly, Jeff. What happened there was I was my first two games to Scotland was Poland away and, and uh, Hungary away. And I knew about Escape to Victory, and I, I couldn't work it out. I said, how can they be in a movie? You know what I mean? Anyway, I then, we, we, we I think we, we lost 2-1 to Hungary, or 1-0. It was, it, was, it was a close game, and they nicked it. And I was in Budapest, in the Hilton Hotel, ready to fly home. And um, representatives of the film were there. It was Angelica Houston, the, the great John Houston's daughter, yeah. wow. who was behind it all. And Stallone was going to be in this. Michael Caine, people like that. And it was about, you know, the war and stuff. Anyway, the problem was, in those days, Hungary, Budapest, which is a beautiful city, it's two cities spanning the Danube, you have Pest, you have Buda, and it's steeped in history. But Poland wasn't so nice. You know, you had, all you had to eat was soup and a scrawny bit of chicken. <laughs> and I couldn't wait to get home. I'd been away for four weeks, and I just wanted to go home. Yeah. And there I was, in the foyer of the Hilton, chatting, and they tried to persuade me to stay and do it. And I didn't. I went home. But every Christmas, when that comes on, I have to watch it. I thought, yeah. who would I play? <laughs> so I was, that was a big disappointment for me. I should have stayed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. The, the great story about that as well, Johnny Wark had one line. He, wow. walks into the, uh, he walks into the concentration camp to the bunk, and, uh, and he said, I'll take the top bunk. And Angelica Houston, the American director, said, what did that guy say? <laughs> I couldn't understand it. So they dubbed him. He had one line you saying they dubbed no. him that. Didn't think someone else had to do it. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So, Al, as we wrap up, if I asked you of all the things you've come across, all the things you've said and done and, and all the inspiration you give people and your views of the world, what would, if there was one message, what single message would you pass over to yeah. the audience of this podcast? Well, I tell you what I do, and, and this will this will be aimed at. I don't know how what age you're listening, but I did uh, a, a podcast. Uh, well, not such a podcast, a Zoom call to friends from Glasgow, and I couldn't believe it. Some of them had the kids there because they'd obviously told me they went to school with Alan and did it. And I, I'm a great believer. I think the moment the world is a dangerous place, and if I could give anyone advice to give to the kids, not that you know they'll say well. I can look after my own kids, but I see a difference in kids now growing up. I would say respect. Respect your school teacher, respect the, the old bill, respect the police, and most of all, respect your parents because they've been there, they've done it, and they know. Respect, because for me, at this moment in time, authority and respect have gone right out the window, and we are a worse place for them. Mm. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely music to my ears. Right, Alan Brazil, thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely brilliant, exceeded my expectations as I knew it would, and, uh, and I can't wait to catch up with you uh, very shortly in the next couple of months in the Algarve on a bit of golf, and uh, 
uh, and I'm sure we'll, um, we'll we'll have a little bevy together. Jeff, I look forward to it. Thank you very much. God bless everyone. Thank you.